0: Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everyone. Love to see you. Uh, one other thing to bring to your attention is that next Sunday afternoon, we've got a prayer meeting in the car park here, um, praying about our building plans here at Alder Road. Uh, we um, are hoping to get the cars out of the car park and then to actually mark on the ground where the proposed building will be so we can kind of stand around it and, and, and pray. For God's help to us, Uh, there's still a lot of work we need to do in terms of making that happen. One issue that we're facing is just the realities of of the current craziness of the global supply chain. If you've tried to get any work done in your house at the moment, you probably know that there's no tradesmen available for months and there's no materials available. Cement's gone up 15% in cost recently. And some of the contractors of tendering are saying to us we can't get materials until next year. So there's all that to deal with as well as all the other stuff. So we really do need to need to pray. So it'd be great to see you here at 4 o'clock. We've done it in the afternoon, so we don't, don't disturb the neighbours. And if you've got kids, you can bring them for just about half an hour, say. So. so 4 o'clock next Sunday afternoon in the car park. It'd be great to pray for our building plans. Right, we're starting a new series this morning called Staying the Course. Truth, Life and Forever. Let me give you some background as to... What I'm hoping to achieve and why we're uh, looking at this subject. Uh, it has been an incredibly demanding season the past 18 months. I know that different people have different stories about how the last 18 months and for some it's been uh, less challenging for others but uh, for me personally I found it an extremely challenging 18 months trying to pastor a church in a pandemic seems immensely complex and there's also been all kinds of things going on in my life at every level personally in the local church and in the things I serve in beyond the local church where there has been any number of stresses and pressures. And to be honest, I think for me, it's probably been the most demanding 18 months of my life in in, in many ways. And globally, there's a huge amount obviously going on, a huge amount shifting about. We've been through some pretty epic political things, which... uh, got a little bit buried at times because of the pandemic, but all the craziness of the American political situation and how that has washed into, uh, into things in the UK and, of course, Brexit and everything else. And, and for me, I, I actually thought that Prince Philip dying a few weeks back was a pretty kind of significant moment in terms of what's represented, kind of uh, getting to the end of the generation who not only lived through but fought through the Second World War, who kind of really represents the 20th century and that generation now very much coming to an end, and us now being in a, in a new era of the 21st century with all its opportunities and challenges. So it just seems to be so, so much that's changing, so much that's uncertain, so much that's, that's moving, and the pandemic itself has obviously accelerated a whole lot of things which are already happening to society but has made them happen quicker. And some of those things we might think of as, as positive things. If, if uh, we are able to develop vaccines and medicines faster because of what we've learned through the pandemic, that is a good thing. If there is more global collaboration and cooperation, that's a good thing. If people are able to have more healthy and intelligent work patterns because of using technology more effectively, that's a good thing. But there are also all kinds of downsides which we see accelerating because of the impact of the pandemic. The obvious one is social isolation, how lonely how many people have been, the pressures upon people with mental health, how devastating the past 18 months has been for them. Um, We see the the increasing reach and authority of government and of big tech, and there's certainly some concerning things in that which we uh, ought to be aware of. And then something which has weighed on me quite a lot really over the last 18 months is the impact upon the global poor. That there are 150 million people who have been pushed into absolute poverty, living on less than a dollar a day through the pandemic, because of the pandemic. And that does mean that more people will probably die of poverty than than have died of the virus. And in 2019, there are 130 million people globally, who lived in a, with acute hunger. And that doubled last year to 260 million people living with acute hunger. And, and those things are kind of overwhelming and, and, and tragic and just awful, and all the results of what we have been living through. And so there are all kinds of challenges and opportunities for the church, both the church global and local churches like this one here, us at, at Gateway. There's the challenges of of us really being the church, of there being some substance and not just appearance, of not just going through the motions, but really having some stuff to uh, stand on. The challenges of remaining faithful in challenging times. And as our society does seem to be moving so fast, and often in ways which actually can be pretty hostile to the Christian gospel, the challenge of remaining faithful in that kind of world. And there have also been all kinds of opportunities, the opportunity for us to genuinely prove that we are the people of God, to demonstrate genuine community and serving of one another and of the wider community and of staying on mission, keeping that central, not forgetting what we're about, which is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that all peoples might be brought to the obedience of faith for the glory of God. And we haven't lost sight of that. And we need to keep staying the course. We need to stay the course. There's no point starting the race if you're not going to finish it. And so it's been a season in which we've often talked about the hidden work that God is doing uh, and the pruning we're going through. And pruning is, is painful, but also is meant to lead to fruitfulness. And we might feel both diminished and enlarged in some ways. Certainly personally, I felt that. I feel, I feel smaller in some areas than I did 18 months ago. And I feel I've grown in other things. And I think that's true for us as a church as well. There's some things which we're smaller in. I mean, literally, like this morning, we're smaller than we would be because of having, how we're having to organise our meetings. And, but there's other things in which we've grown. And I, I think we do need to give thanks to God for his grace to us and, and, and commend one another, actually, in terms of things that we've done well and where we can say well done to one another. The fact that we are still here and that we have done pretty well in terms of, serving one another, and that we really don't seem to have lost many people over the last 18 months, but we've gained more, and we have stayed focused on our mission and our calling, and I think we should commend one another in that by the grace of God. And so I want to take three weeks, just in one chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and think about what it means to stay the course, to stay the course, the the heading which the editors, translators of the NIV have put in for this chapter, is Present Weakness and Resurrection Life. And that is a pretty good summary of the chapter and also of the series, that uh, we might feel weak. And uh, God knows that over the past 18 months there have been plenty of moments when I have felt very, very weak. But also we live in the hope of resurrection life. And we must live this life now with the reality of resurrection life stretching ahead of us. So uh, God willing my plan is to spend these 3 weeks in this one chapter and to look at the Christian and truth, the Christian and the world and the Christian and eternity. And so this morning is the Christian and truth 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry we do not lose heart. Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception Nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. First thing to see is that in the church, there are to be true ministers with a true message. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Truth Is important. Truth matters. Where did COVID come from? That's the question that we want the answer to. When you go to the dentist, does the dentist know what she's doing as that drill starts whirring? Does she really love me? There's you want answers. There's questions. Some things in life which you want facts in. You want real truth, not something which is subjective or relative. And so characteristic of our age is, is fake news. How, how do you know what's true? How, how do you know? I mean, even with the virus, a few weeks ago, uh, the, the, the virus coming out of a lab was being dismissed as a conspiracy theory. Twitter and Facebook were banning posts, which suggested that. And now it seems like everybody, all the MPs and everybody else and the scientists are saying, well, looks like it probably did come from a lab. I mean, who knows? And how are we to know? That's the the world we live in. How do you know what is true? What is fake? What is true? What is conspiracy? Truth so often seems relative. This is perhaps best defined by the high priestess of modern culture, Oprah Winfrey, who says, speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. It's absolute nonsense. If you speak your truth, and you speak your truth, and you speak your truth, and I speak my truth, well, who's, what's true? It's just entirely subjective and relative. It becomes meaningless. There is no truth if it's just your truth. What we need is something more solid than that, something external, something which we can really rely on, something which is real. The imagery we're using for this series is a compass. And if you're using a compass, you want it to be true. Some of my family were watching Pirates of the Caribbean last night, and in that, Jack Sparrow has a compass, which isn't true. It doesn't point north. It spins in whatever direction he wants it to points to a barrel of rum because that's what he most wants. That isn't truth. You want a compass to point north, not spin randomly, so that you can know where you're going. And relative truth is just exhausting. So to live in a world where we're never quite sure what is really true or truth is subjective or truth is relative, it's, that is an exhausting place to live. Because what, what is really true? How do you know? That's, that's a vulnerable place to be. A standard, an external standard, brings security. That's why weights and measures, accurate weights and measures, are so important, which is why the Bible often talks about the importance of accurate weights and measures, that when you go and buy something, you want to know what you're you're getting, what you're paying for. If you're not sure the weights and measures are honest, that's a stressful place to be. As the price of petrol goes up and up, you want to know you're actually getting what you pay for. And... It's why good and clear laws are so important for a nation to feel secure. That's been one of the challenges of this past 18 months, that so often the rules have changed so much and been so confusing. At times, none of us have really known, am I allowed to do this or not to do that? Can I go there? Can I not? And that brings uncertainty and contention. Or in sport, actually clear rules help. Without that, you don't have a satisfying game. You might argue about the call the, ma- the ref has made, but there's a standard against which you're measuring that decision, and that brings some clarity and it brings resolution. It means that you can actually define who is won and who is lost. That external standard of truth brings security, and it's so helpful to us. And there is an ultimate external standard of truth, which is the Lord's. Our God, and this is the claim, the truth claim that Christianity makes: that there is a God. He is ultimate. He is true. He sets and He is the standards, and all other truths are contingent, dependent upon Him. Without the truth of the Lord our God, there's no rules of physics and laws of math and no reliable. Uh, 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 things in chemistry, uh, reactions and in chemistry and biology, none of it holds together without an external truth which is utterly reliable, which is the Lord our God. And so pursuing truth must, in the end, mean pursuing Him. And that means also that speaking of Him requires truthfulness. And so in, in these verses, really, the Apostle Paul is kind of giving a job description for people like me who stand up and and teach from the Word of God and seek to proclaim truth about God. The God of truth equips his ministers to be truth tellers. And Paul says that this is a, a ministry which is given by God. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry. It's through God's mercy. It's not about Paper qualifications, it's not about how long you spent at Bible college, although those things can have value. The Apostle Paul, an educated, very brilliant, intelligent man, but the thing that qualified him as a minister of the truth was the calling which came to him by God's mercy. And so he says earlier in this letter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, that he's been called to preach the gospel and that doing this is spreading the knowledge of the aroma of christ and he describes where this competence comes from verse uh, chapter 3 and uh, verse 5 he says not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves but our competence comes from god he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit as a competence and a calling which has come from god for Paul and his friends to speak the truth about God. And so the ministers of the gospel are to speak and act truthfully. And Paul says we're not acting with dishonesty, not distorting the truth. It's not about personal gain. There's a truth, a plain telling of the truth. There's to be a plainness about us. And for some of us it's easier to be plain than for others, but there's to be a plainness about us seeking to commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. That means that there needs to be a, an integrity, an authenticity to the ministry of the word which happens in the church of God. That doesn't mean that those of us who teach are, are, are perfect. Those of you who are members here and know us, you know that we are far from perfect. You, Richard might be closer to perfection than I am, but... Even Richard isn't perfect. None of us are. If you're looking for perfection in the leaders here, well, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Can't expect perfection. But we do want to commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. There does need to be an integrity and an authenticity about us. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, there were all kinds of philosophers and rabbis around what we'd call gurus, who would attract acolytes, disciples and attract prestige and status and often use that, leverage that for financial gain. And we see that today, don't we? We see that in all kinds of celebrity philosophers and gurus who do the same kind of thing. And tragically, we can also see that at times in the church where we see those who are meant to be faithful ministers of the true gospel actually using the ministry to promote themselves rather than Jesus. And where leadership becomes manipulative and controlling or a lever for personal financial gain. And we don't want that. Here at Gateway, we don't want that. We want to be true ministers speaking a true message. Second thing is that the message is true, but tragically often rejected. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of god if there is truth real truth why why doesn't everyone accept it why doesn't everyone come running to christ well paul says here that there's a veil which is preventing some from seeing the veil you put a veil over a face and the face can't be seen it's one of the challenges that we currently live with is face masks. It's hard to see faces and read what is really going on. It's actually one of the challenges of preaching at the moment. I hate it that can't see people's faces properly. It makes it just much more, more difficult to interact and, and engage what's happening in people's souls because the face is a, a window to the soul. And, and Paul says that for many it's like there's a, a face mask, a veil, which keeps them from seeing Christ. And for others, the God of this age has blinded them the distractions of the stuff of the world stops people from seeing the truth in Christ. And we all see that around us. Grace and I were talking about this yesterday in terms of some of our friends and neighbors and we think, ah, how can we help them to see? They're just They're blinded because they're distracted by all the stuff of life, all the stuff of the world. And that is a tragic place to be because surely what everyone really is looking for in life is truth and beauty and love. That's what all human beings really want. They pursue those things in all kinds of strange and often corrupt and destructive directions, but really that's what we all want. We want truth, we want beauty, we want love. And, and the Lord God is the one and the place where we find truth and beauty and love. And so to, to be blind from seeing him it's just tragic. So we need to see that the, the, the Christian gospel, it mustn't be a peddled message, not something which is used to manipulate or control or for personal gain. And it's not something which comes from within us. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's ultimate truth. It's true. And so we need to believe and not reject. And those of us who by God's mercy, have had the veil taken away and have seen Christ Jesus, we mustn't allow ourselves to be blinded again by getting distracted by the world. And The appeal to those who don't know Christ is see what is most precious. And we need to pray. We need to pray for our friends, our neighbours. We need to pray for our town that the Lord in his grace would take the veil away and that more would see the truth in Christ Jesus. And so the third thing is that Truth is found in Christ. Verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Truth is found in Christ. Christ is the truth. And seeing Christ is a Genesis-like moment. Paul here quotes Genesis 1 verse 3, let light shine in the darkness. And having the veil taken away, having our eyes open to Christ, it's like that moment of creation. The lights come on, you see Jesus, you see the truth, and that changes everything. And Wherever your search for truth has led you, true truth is found in Christ. And Paul brilliantly connects this to the different philosophies of his day. He says that Christ is the true light. And that would have had a particular resonance for his Jewish audience because the Jewish people were seeking the light of God. The prophet Isaiah is a great representative of this. Isaiah says, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Jewish people were wanting to live in the light of God and for that light then to draw other nations to God as well, to be illuminated, to be illumined by God. And That's what many spiritual seekers today are still pursuing, the sense of illumination, of transcendence, of of enlightenment. And if what you're seeking is light, then the true place to find true light is in the face of Jesus Christ. You're only going to find true light in Christ. And then Paul says that Christ is true knowledge. And this would have been something which would have especially resonated with his Greek audience. got some quotes from some Greek philosophers, Aristotle, "...the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet." So have to remind your kids of that at exam time. And Heraclitus, "...men who wish to know about the world must learn about it in its particular details." And Diogenes, "...the foundation of every state is the education of its youth." Education, education, education. That's what it's all about. Seeking to understand, to learn, to know, that's what motivated Greek culture, the pursuit of knowledge. And this is a rational process. It involves science. Knowledge is the key to life. The more you know, the more empowered you are, the more you can do, the freer you are. And that's true. Actually, to a great extent, that's true. Education is so powerful, but it's only a partial truth. Because knowledge is always a double-edged sword. The knowledge can free us, but knowledge can also constrain and enslave us. And so we learn as a human race. We know stuff we didn't used to know. We know how to generate phenomenal amounts of energy, and we know how to construct a nuclear bomb. And we know how to implement touch-and-go technology, which is so convenient, but also increasingly makes us kind of just data points being monitored and increasingly controlled by big tech, knowledge is always double-sided. except the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is pure and without corruption and always life-giving, freeing. And so if you want true knowledge, the place to find it is in the face of Jesus Christ. Then he says that Christ is also true glory, and this would have particularly resonated with Paul's Roman audience. The Roman historian Livy says this about the city of Rome: It is not without good reason that gods and men chose this place to build our city. These hills with their pure air. This convenient river by which crops may be floated down from the interior and foreign commodities brought up. A sea handy to our needs, but far enough away to guard us from foreign fleets. Our situation in the very centre of Italy. All these advantages shape this most favoured of sites into a city destined for glory. That's what Rome was all about. Glory, the accumulation of fame, status, prestige, Glory, being top nation, being the nation which every other nation would be in awe of. And within Roman society, seeking to be the most glorious person you could be, to try and be top man in the top nation. That's what it was all about, the accumulation of status, fame, honor, glory. And we still see that today. We see that in the businessman who loves to glory in his success and makes sure that he's always a step ahead of everybody else superior because of his greater wealth and his bigger car and his more impressive house and his more beautiful wife it's all about status and honor and we see it in the social media influencer who's desperately accruing more and more followers because by that she gets more and more glory people still pursue glory a vain human glory now there is a glory which isn't vain there's a glory which is beautiful and liberating and joy-filled and perfect and pure and that is the glory of god and so if you want to know glory the place to find true glory is in the face of Jesus Christ. All this is displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know truth, look in the right face. Faces, so precious. I wish you weren't wearing face masks. I wish I could see your face. To look in the face of a loved one is a precious thing to do. love to look at Grace's face day after day after 27 years of marriage. It's wonderful to be able to see Grace's face day by day. She's precious to me. Faces are precious. Look in the right face to find truth. Now, it's not only face masks that have changed how we see the face. Actually, a huge change happened in 2007, introduction of the iPhone and the creation of selfies. When suddenly the way that we took pictures changed. Prior to that, we took pictures looking through the camera out at stuff. We took pictures of scenes or of people. And then suddenly we turned the camera around and started taking pictures of ourselves. And so now, or at least before lockdown, you go to any beauty spot or any famous site in the world. And what you'd find is people taking pictures of themselves. You go to London Bridge or the Tower of London or the Taj Mahal or the pyramids. And there are people taking pictures not of the Taj Mahal or the pyramids or the Tower of London, but of themselves, their faces blocking the Tower of London and the pyramids and the Taj Mahal, kind of creating a truth, telling a story about being center of the world and being awesome, and actually we're not center of the world and we're not awesome. And because we take so many pictures ourselves now, we have this constructed narrative. We think is true and it's not. We need to turn the camera around Again, true truth, true meaning is found in the face of Christ. It's in Christ's face that we truly see God. It's in Christ's face that we find light and knowledge and glory. It's in Christ's face that we find what is real and beautiful and true and good. And it's, it's too easy to, as it were, walk around with a spiritual selfie stick to think that we're center of the frame and it's about us. And that doesn't lead us into truth. We need to change our orientation. And you can see how this had happened to the Apostle Paul. So in verse 5 here, he says that he and his friends have become servants of the church. Because they have looked into the face of Christ and found truth, found true light, true knowledge, true glory, that has changed their orientation. They are now liberated, freed to serve the church. Not manipulate, control, extort, but to serve the people of God for the glory of God, for the good of his people and as a witness to the world. Not looking for answers from within themselves, but having found the answer in Christ as the ultimate standard. That's what truth does. You have an encounter with truth in the face of Jesus Christ, and that leads you into health. And so we need to stay the course, knowing the truth, having that accurate compass will help keep us on course, whatever the circumstances. I love what Paul says in verse 1 at the beginning of this passage, we don't lose heart, we don't lose heart. Sometimes life can be very disheartening and certainly the Apostle Paul experienced a terrific amount of disheartening things in his life and where we will get to in the passage next week, we'll see what some of that looked like. He experienced many disheartening things, but he didn't lose heart. And I think, speaking personally again, the last 18 months, I have experienced many disheartening things. But by the grace of God, I haven't lost heart because God in his grace has revealed his truth where there is light and knowledge and glory. And so whatever we've been through, whether the last 18 months has been better or worse for you, and what yesterday was like, and what tomorrow is going to be like, and what might happen this afternoon, we need to stay the course, not lose heart, keep looking in the face of Christ, living in that truth, and knowing his light, his knowledge, and his glory shining into us. Let's pray. Why don't you just, uh, Alex, encourage us at the beginning to speak out our prayers to God. Why don't, why don't we do that again now in, our, in, our, in the quiet of our own hearts? And if you know that you need to know light, be enlightened, or if you know that you need a sense of knowledge of God or the taste of his glory, why don't you ask him to shine that into your heart again? It might be that you feel that you haven't stayed the course particularly well, and that might be a longer term thing, it might just be this morning, something happened, knocked you off course a bit, and you need to know forgiveness, the Lord is so gracious to us, so merciful, ask him, he'll forgive Maybe you felt disheartened and actually in danger of losing heart. And you need your, your heart strengthened again spiritually. Turn to him again and ask for his strength. Jesus Christ, thank you that you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the light. And in you is all knowledge and glory. And so we turn towards you again and ask for you to shine in our hearts and give us all that we need and help us to stay the course. Thank you we don't just have to grill it out in our own strength but it's by your grace, by your mercy. Empower us again. Let us live in this truth and stay the course. Amen.